every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. and welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, I'm your host, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, this week we've made it into the back half of Buffy Season 5 with episodes 514 Crush and 515 I Was Made to Love You. Uh, and talking with me today, uh, Jessica Houch is back again. You can't keep a good PhD student down. Welcome back, Jessica. Oh, thanks for having me back. I assume you're here to continue uh, debating our shared but maybe problematic love for Spike. Oh, and it gets very problematic this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very problematic. All right. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I have a note. I have a series of notes that the the heading is all of the ways Spike is terrible in this episode, and yet I still love him. <laughs> okay. Well, this will be fun then. This will be fun. Um, all right. We'll just get right to it. Uh, after the dreaded spoiler warning, so uh, for new listeners. Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole, which means spoilers and lots of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series all the way through at least once, press pause, go do that, come back whenever you're ready. We'll still be here. Uh, with that out of the way, Jessica, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's do it. All right. So we'll start with the start and maybe end because we both said we don't have a lot of notes on uh, I was made to love you but uh, we're going to start with Crush 514 Crush so first I want to point out that this episode um, written by David Fury originally aired on February 13th 2001 which was my 31st birthday uh, so here Paul have this really cruel hurtful episode as our special gift just for you and also Valentine's Day, too. And, and yes, Valentine's Day, yeah. <laughs> um, incidentally, three years later, on my 34th birthday, they would announce the cancellation of Angel the Series, so Mutant Enemy clearly has always hated me. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so Crush, start us off, Jessica. All right, so my first note says Spike is in his date outfit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So I think Spike's costuming right throughout the episode and really throughout the series um, is really interesting and indicative of where his character is. Um, so when he first shows up at the bronze, he's in his blue button up shirt. He's wearing a different coat. Yeah, which I didn't like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not not so good. Um, and o overall, in general, right, he's wearing these kind of lighter colors, right? He's trying to fit into what Buffy wants. And we'll see this happen again uh, in season seven when mm -hmm. he comes back with a soul. 
and he doesn't wear his coat until the episode I think get, get it done something wow. like that I forgot that yeah. um, and that's like an important moment where he has to go back and get his black coat from Sunnydale High School um, in order to to beat the demon right that they have to send back through the shadow box mm-hmm. portal um, so he, Spike is such a performative character. He's always performing his identity, right? Even, um, the idea of William the bloody Spike, it's, it's all a performance with him. The fact that he changes his accent, right? Yeah. Um, and we see him here kind of changing his clothes in order to perform a different version of himself, right? The, the version of himself that he thinks Buffy wants, so at the bronze, when he's hanging out, chit-chatting with Joyce, he's wearing um, different, you know, these kind of lighter colors. When Drew comes back, right, before they go to the bronze, he must have been like, hey, Drew, I just need to, I need to change. I can't, can't wear this. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> this is not what you wear to a bloodbath. So. <laughs> um. Yeah, I actually, when the episode started, I had forgotten that he, I mean, I've always, I've always known that Spike is a performative character. Um, I I talk about that a lot, but I'd forgotten that he completely changes his look. Uh, The coat really threw me off. Like like Mm -hmm. my first note is what the hell is Spike wearing? And then as the episode (laughs) went on, I was like, oh yeah, he's just, this this is him dressing. He's trying not to look like the big bad Spike, so. Right, right. And again, yeah, like in season seven, when he comes back, he wears that really that very nice tight blue shirt for a while. Right. And then he is also wearing those lighter colors, right? In, um, in as much as he wears clothes. Well, in season six, he doesn't even wear clothes, but. Uh, no, yeah. no. Some of my favorite moments. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that female gaze. Oh, I love man. it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the. The eternal debate <laughs> rages on with the whole uh, Spike versus Angel thing. Um, the uh, personally, I think I've said this enough on the podcast. I love both characters, but uh, the the natures, the rules of engagement in this particular fandom seem to require more often than not that you have to sort of tear one down in order to prop the other one up. So I, I'll just take this opportunity, as so many, many have before. It's completely unnecessary for me to do this. But I will point out that Spike um, is, at this point in the series, soulless, uh, yet is very clearly struggling with kind of his inner demon. He's clearly struggling to be good. And there are plenty of arguments to be made, and, and I'm sure we will make them in this episode, uh, that at the moment, a lot of his struggles to be good are for selfish reasons. Right. Uh, but still, as I've also said before, a lot of this goes down, comes down to the performance that uh, James Marsters gives, maybe more so even than the writing that's going on behind the scenes. But there, I think there's a lot of the struggle that you can see on screen. Yeah. Uh, so should we get into that? Because I have a section of notes yeah. titled Spike's Moral State at this point in the episode. Has he, as he claimed, changed? Yeah. Right. Because we get within the episode, right, kind of a discussion Mm-hmm. about what what his moral state is, where he is on this kind of moral continuum. And we get these kind of different versions or different takes from different characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, dive into it. 
So we get the conversation about the hunchback of Notre Dame. Right? Oh man, I have Which is so subtle. I I, <laughs> I have something to say about that, and it might not be what you expect. But go ahead, continue. Okay. Um. So I have a quote from. Tara, right, where she says all of Quasimodo's actions were selfishly motivated. He has no moral compass, no understanding of right and wrong. Everything he did uh, for a woman who would never was for a woman who would never be able to love him back. Mm-hmm. So I wonder who that's about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so can I, can I tell you why that uh, that little moment actually annoys the hell out of me? Yes, please. I, I don't want to. Uh, derail you from wherever you're going but that that moment that little speech um it it's kind of cool and it's kind of fun and metatextual and everything but that is precisely the kind of i don't know what word to use here misrepresentation maybe i don't know it's it's that kind of thing that pushes my buttons so if this was a conversation that was taking place as a direct address to spike's feelings for buffy with the characters being like fully aware of the situation i think it would be fine uh, the characters in fiction are allowed to have whatever ideas they want about all mm-hmm. of this, obviously. Uh, but since it's not the characters knowingly correlating Spike to Quasimodo, it just happens to be a coincidental <laughs> conversation that's happening. Um, I read it. To me personally, it stands as the writers speaking metatextually to the audience, particularly since this episode is written by David Fury, who has been very vocal about was, I don't know where he stands now, but at the time was very vocal about his opinions on Spike's moral uh, place in the universe. Um, And like I said, it's arguable that what Spike is doing is for the love of a woman who could never love him back, um, Mm -hmm. uh, implying that everything that we see Spike do here as he's struggling with the monster inside of him is selfishly motivated. Uh, Well... I guess the implication that everything that we see him do, like I said, James Marster's performance on camera kind of (laughs) puts the lie to some of this, but implying that everything he's doing is entirely selfishly motivated, I feel like is kind of reductive and misleading. Right. Well, and it also, you know, begs the question about Buffy's final words to Spike in the series. Uh, Where she tells him, I love you. (laughs) Were those her? Yeah, because he he bursts into flames right after that yeah yeah right and then he says you know no you don't but thanks you know yeah yeah um so he doesn't believe that she could love him but Mm -hmm. does she believe that she loves him right and i think by the end of the series there is at least you know some sort of love between them yeah you know as as troubling and problematic that that might be because of the rape narrative right um you know by the time we get to touched and empty places Right. She says to Angel that he's in my heart. Mm-hmm. So, um, and to the comics, I, I it pains oh, me. They, yeah, they get together. I was going to say, don't in the comics, doesn't it become official? It does. OK. All right. uh, so uh, I haven't been keeping up with the comics yeah. as much as I used to now that I'm PhDing, but I did get up to the point where they become canon. So. Um, if you count the ca- the comics as canon, it, right? which, I, which I guess we're supposed to, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I there are two kind of issues that I have with that line um, is that one, it's it felt to me a little heavy handed, 
mm-hmm. I think kind of going along with what you were saying. It's like, oh, I want, I wonder what this is about. Like, thanks, Shell. Thanks for really spelling that out for me. <laughs> um, and also that it comes from Tara, right? I feel like Tara, if anyone in the group, is going to be more open to the possibility. Right? She's less judgy about Spike and Buffy than ever anyone else's. Yeah. Um, I think she is willing to see the good in Spike in a way that other characters are not. I'll tell you the in to skip ahead to the next episode just briefly when we get the scene where uh, Spike shows up at the magic box and everybody sends him away. The two that were most painful to me were Dawn, when Dawn was clearly Mm -hmm. upset because obviously she's heard what has happened. Uh, But that's understandable. But that's when Tara kind of steps forward and is like, I think you should go. And and, I mean, she's not being as outwardly like cruel and and hurtful as everybody else in there is being. But still, just because I feel exactly the same way as you, Tara seems the one who's who would be most willing to sort of give him the benefit of the doubt. And she does, right? When Buffy comes to her in season six. Yeah. Um, and tells her about having sex with Spike, right? Because Tara is the person she confides in first. Yeah. And Tara does not judge her. And she does say, like, you know, he's he's helping us. Yeah. He's been, you know, he, he does seem like he's better, that he's had some sort of redemption. But it bothers you that she's the one here that's yeah. giving the Quasimodo thing? Yeah, I feel like that would be better coming from Willow. Right. Um, just because Willow is less accepting of that. Although apparently uh, at this apparently at this point in the show, the writers were considering doing a Spike and Willow relationship. Really? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's been confirmed. I read that in one of the one of the review books, but so I'm I'm not sure where that comes from. But I believe they were quoting David Fury. Oh. So. Okay. I guess working off of a like lovers walk, and then that moment in the initiative. Yeah, I don't know how seriously they could have been considering it unless they already knew that they were going to kill off Tara but yeah I don't know that would have been super weird mm-hmm. um, yeah and even in I think even in um, intervention right Tara is the one who is most kind of understanding yeah um, so yeah I did like the line it's never going to end well when the main guy is all bumpy <laughs> yes right? that that rings true for Buffy's, you know, tragic taste in men. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I just thought that the whole thing was a little heavy handed. Um, so. No, I, I completely agree. And, um, just because I'm reading it as it's, it's being presented sort of as the word of God coming from the creators. It's not the characters commenting on it. Um, Mm -hmm. It it really annoyed me because I've alluded to the fact that at this point in the show, and particularly once we get into season six, I was really upset with the writers because they would often speak uh, in interviews or public or publicly or whatever about how they themselves were not necessarily fans of how 
many fans there were of Spike. And uh, Fury in particular uh, has said that uh, that fans who considered Spike to be sort of a tragic hero are the same people that send love letters to serial killers in prison, which I think is a, which a Spike horrible thing on to say. Too. I mean, yeah, right? he makes that comment, but just the fact that David Fury would say, you know, if you're a fan of Spike, you must be the one of those people that sends love letters to serial killers. I mean, come on, man. Come on back up just a little bit first of all right. this is a fictional show and second of all you need to you need to watch your own show and see what's happening on camera that we're seeing but right well and that also kind of goes against um whedon's whole bring your own subtext thing right right, right? yeah um, where he was kind of open to people having different interpretations right from necessarily yeah. what writers wanted them to have once once you put your show into the universe um people are going to have their own interpretations of yeah. them you can't control it after that point it's gone authorial intent doesn't mean a lot in the no. in the world of public consumption i think um uh around this time and particularly once we get into season six another problem that i had is the because the writers because the creators have Obviously, everybody has their own idea. Everybody has their own subtext for Spike, including each individual writer. And so it's kind of hard to find um, consistency from one episode to the next in how Spike is portrayed. Like at the end of this season, uh, in an episode uh, written and directed by Joss Whedon, we're going to see a very, very sympathetic Spike who very clearly has like human emotions or whatever. Um, uh, And then, you know, a couple episodes later, written by somebody else. he'll be just a selfish monster again. So yeah, it's, it's hard to track. Right. And I mean, that's also, but that's good for us viewers, right? Because we can, uh, any act of interpretation is an act of selection and exclusion, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, that's how I can continue to ship spike is because of those moments uh, where he does, you know, have those, that humanity and I can ignore the other stuff. Yeah put on my my shipping goggles and you know <laughs> they're roast and did for sure <laughs> um all right so did i did i derail you was there more going on here do you want to oh yeah so i just have some other kind of moments in the show where the show is explicitly talking about spike's moral state okay yeah um and one of those moments comes from uh don's conversation with buffy um where Buffy is saying that Angel is different because Angel had a soul, right? That refrain that we hear over and over again. And Dawn says, chip, soul, same diff. Right. <laughs> and, th- and thus launched uh, years and years worth of fan debate. Right, right. And so I think we should get into some of that here, right? Um, you know, I, I personally feel like the show puts too much emphasis on the soul, Um as this kind of ontological marker of goodness. Right. Um, Because we see plenty of instances where people with souls, right? We see one in the next episode do some pretty horrendous things. Yeah. Um, The soul doesn't necessarily mean that you're good. So then why can't you be good without a soul? So the, I'm, I am 100% on your side in this 
particular debate um, mm -hmm. and it will continue to be as this podcast uh, goes forward. But um, I know that uh, there are plenty of fans and the show itself at a certain point tries to backpedal a little bit and say that a soul doesn't make you good. A soul lets a soul gives you the choice to be good. The right. implication being, if you don't have a soul, you don't even get to choose, which I, which is, seems preposterous to me. No. <laughs> ridiculous. Well, and I, so again, that's probably why there's such differing interpretations of spike, because one of the things that I think is so compelling about spike is that he doesn't have a soul and yet chooses in many instances, right. to be good. Yeah. Um, as opposed to Angel, right? You can start Angel bashing, who has a soul forced on him. And right. and the other the other clear difference between Spike and Angel is that um, I, I don't pretend that Spike is necessarily uh, he's not there yet. He's not a good guy at this point necessarily. <laughs> oh, no. No, but, this episode proves that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the compelling part of Spike is that we are watching him struggle. We're seeing him try to be a good guy. He's on he's on the road. We never, ever see that with Angelus. There is never an opportunity, to, to the best of my recollection, we never see an example of Angelus, soulless Angelus, even considering being good. He's only ever irredeemably evil when he's Angelus. Right. Yeah. And that's, again, that's why I think Spike is a more compelling, more interesting, more well-developed character um, because he is making that, ch that choice. He is in the midst of that struggle, which we are all kind of in the midst of being right of making those choices to be good, even when there might be part of us, right. Our demons that don't want us to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, eventually at the end of season six, when he does go get his soul, right, that's him kind of making this ultimate choice right. to be good in a way that Angel never does. Yeah, I, I, I always feel bad when it comes down to the Spike versus Angel bashing, because I do actually like Angel and I catch myself wanting to defend Angel. But no, this no. is... This is the Spike show right now. So. Right. Well, and that's not to say that Angel's a bad character. Right. right. He's just a different kind of character, and he's not the kind of character that I'm drawn to. Yeah. Right? He is the kind of moody, brooding, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, tragic hero. Um, now, to, to be fair, his show, Angel the Series, eventually settles on uh, – sort of a narrative direction for angel that uh i fell in love with which yeah. which places him which positions him a little closer to the whole spike thing because the mm -hmm. angel show becomes about the struggle uh, even right. though he has the soul it is still a continuing struggle to be good like he is still struggling for redemption even though he <laughs> at the moment in spike's journey it seems like spike's redemption will be if he gets a soul and we learn in angel that that's not necessarily true so so right. that, that yeah. is all compelling about Angel, but yeah. And it's interesting that I feel like that narrative really comes to the fore in season five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Angel, when Spike gets there. Yes. <laughs> there's that great episode, which I'm blanking on the name of, maybe you remember, where there's the rogue slayer. Uh, that Dana, cuts, I don't remember the name of the episode. Yeah, but. that cut Spike's hands off. And, and Spike and Angel have a beautiful conversation mm -hmm. at the end of that about redemption. Mm -hmm. 
So that's something to look forward to in uh, three or four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someday I'll get there, I promise. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then uh, kind of going back to Spike and this idea of, you know, when he's having the conversation with Buffy in the bronze and he's like, you know, I was there. I was fighting, you know, fighting the fight. And she's like, well, you're asleep in the sleep with the knocked unconscious. Um, and he says points for intent, mm-hmm. right? So what is Spike's intent? And should he get points for it, right? Should he get points for, for helping out uh, with Dawn, with Joyce, with Glory? Well, he certainly is going to get points for helping out with Glory pretty soon. But um, I... Are, are you asking me this question right now? Do you want me to try and answer it right now? Well, if you want to, or else I can just let it hang and be uh, the sphere of rhetorical questions. <laughs> uh, we can let it be a rhetorical question. I think the listeners probably know where I stand on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so we, okay. We, we will not stop talking about Spike, obviously, but we need to mention the other <laughs> big deal about this episode is that Drew's back. Right. Uh, yeah. And also, I think, fits in with um, with his kind of where he stands morally. Right. Um, because he is very quickly kind of seduced back into this old life with her. And yet the moment where they're at the bronze, uh-huh. what what do you make of that after she snaps? the woman's neck i think that that's a really interesting and important moment i this is one of those things where i feel like i have a read based on what is probably james marster's performance and and it might not be what was intended since it was written by david fury it's probably not what was intended uh in the script but in this in the text that we get i read that as he was very uncomfortable he's obviously tempted he's always been tempted uh, but he did not look like pleased. Mm-hmm. He did not look like he, he struggled with that. So he had to psych himself. He had to psych himself up into doing that. Uh, right. I mean, do you get a moment like that later in smashed when he has punched Buffy the first time mm-hmm. realizes that, or he believes that his chip isn't working anymore. Right, and right. then he goes to bite the woman in the alley mm-hmm. and he spends a good amount of time, you know, a minute or two, right. Which is forever in TV time. Um, trying to psych himself up to bite the woman. Yeah. Right. He gives himself this whole speech, uh, to get to that point right now. That's a little bit later in his development as a character. Um, but I do think we see kind of hints of that here. Yeah, so I read that moment as he'd kind of already, either already had or was in the process of of kind of deciding how this was going to play out, that he was going to, he was playing along with Drew, mm-hmm. and part of, part of playing along with her was he was just going to have to do this. He was going to have to feed off this human, and... You know, I'm sure other people would watch that scene and say, yeah, he didn't have to struggle very hard at all. And he went ahead and did it. But um, well, I I did watch that scene a couple of times and I was like, well, is there another way to kind of read his facial expression? Because my my reading is the same as yours. But I do think, you know, if you were so inclined, right, if you already had a, a view on Spike that would lead to this particular 
um, reading that you could also see it as a kind of like, he can't believe that he's finally feeding on humans again. Yeah. That I think that you, if, again, if that's kind of your biases and how your interpretation is being directed, um, that that reading is possible based on his facial expression. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, I've, I've told listeners I was going to try and track all the crossovers that happen between this and angels. So this follows on, um, I don't remember how immediately, like, I don't remember when the, these episodes aired, but Drusilla, and she mentions it in this episode that she just had a whole thing with over on angel with Darla mm-hmm. and all that. And, uh, so that's, um, angel episodes 209, the trial 210 reunion and 211 redefinition, which, um, mm-hmm are great are great episodes of that show but uh, uh so then she pops up here and i believe uh unless i'm mistaken this is the last appearance of drew like in the present uh she pops up a few times in future episodes but they're always either not her or they are flashbacks i think this is the last time we see like real present time drusilla i think you're right about that i yeah. think yeah we get some flashbacks and we get her as the first yeah Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, I'm a little sad that, um, that this is the episode we get. Obviously I'm all about Spike, but I have, I've always said that I genuinely love Spike and Drew as a couple. And, I uh, do too. <laughs> and it's a, it's a shame that, uh, that Juliet Landau's last, I mean, quote unquote, real performance of Drew is kind of just her showing up to be sacrificed by spike or almost sacrificed by spike. Yeah. Um, I did. I loved some, so much of what she did in this episode. My favorite, um, my favorite kind of pair of moments was, you know, she senses the chip in his brain Uh and she says that she doesn't believe in science. I don't believe in science. All those bits and molecules no one's ever seen. Yeah. Uh, but then later she has a cattle prod. Right? <laughs> Good point. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Does she believe in electricity now? <laughs> oh, you're right, man. She and and she even called out electricity in that. She does. Yeah. In, in that uh, in that speech. Wow. Uh, but it's so Drew, right, to do that, uh-huh. <laughs> to have that kind of that paradox, right? Uh huh. I loved the confrontation between Drew and Harmony. Oh my gosh. Harmony, uh, this episode. <laughs> when, I, I particularly loved it. Like I couldn't remember uh, how Drew responds to Harmony. So when Harmony like, is like getting in her face and calling her Morticia and, yes. and all that stuff. And Drew literally just kind of does one of those talk to the hand things. Like she literally yes, just she holds does. up her hand and turns her head away. Like get out of my face. Yeah. That's, that's so crazy. She's yeah. I I did feel bad for Harmony in this episode. Yeah. I mean, they make her, and I kind of wish that they hadn't done that um, at the end of the episode where she just becomes this kind of clownish uh, figure. Because in earlier episodes, like Harsh Light of Day, mm-hmm. we see the way that she's being mistreated by Spike, and she's given she's treated with a little bit more sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um. Whereas in this episode, it's just kind of a joke. Yeah. And she, I, I, I think this is also her last Buffy episode, but she gets, she does go on to pop up in angel. 
She does. She sure does. Yeah. Um, and and the other kind of reason why I think that was kind of a misstep is that it aligned at the end of the episode. It kind of aligned Buffy and Spike um, as they're kind of watching Harmony be ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Uh, was... And there is a moment where Buffy is like, no, like we're not on the same side. But I, I feel like if she had been treated with more pathos, um, you know, we could have seen a shift in that so that Buffy is more on, you know, more aligned with Harmony than yeah. with Spike against Harmony. It was it was kind of a weird the way that whole fight sort of wound down was a little <laughs> weird. I hadn't thought of it in the terms that you just brought up, but that's a very good point. I was thinking of it as um I mean, it it makes sense as much sense as Spike does in these situations. It makes sense that he frees Buffy because now he's fighting with Drew and Harmony. Right. Um, but the fact that um there is that scene where Spike and Buffy now standing kind of side by side, almost like they're on the same side. Mm-hmm. Just watch as first Drusilla and then Harmony give their sort of soliloquy, their their goodbye speech. And my thought was, first of all, it's it's this is a weird way for the fight to peter out. And Buffy, you're a vampire slayer. Shouldn't you be at least trying to kill one of these vampires. Yeah, you've got three vampires here. Why are you just watching them give their final speech and then walk off into the night? Shouldn't you do something here? But mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, one of you know, yeah, no, the just the blocking, like visually, it was very odd. Um, and then we do cut to that scene, right, where Spike is following Buffy home, mm-hmm. uh, and then gets blocked out of the house, which I think is a, a great moment. Um. I mean, it's 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 the other interpretation of the episode title "Crush" because it's very. I was crushed. Spike was crushed. When, yeah. When uh, we saw that, I, I like but... the fact that the show doesn't actually call it out either. Earlier in the episode, um, there's a a line where Buffy's like, "Actually, Willow, there is something you can do for me," and that's mm-hmm. the last we ever hear of it. And then they just trust that we understand this world enough to to figure out at the end that oh, she had Willow doing a. Uninvitation un- spell or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's a great moment. Um, and I, I do want to talk about one more thing uh-huh. with Drew um, before we move on from that. But I think one of the great reasons to put that, one of the reasons I'm happy that Drew is in the episode, and what I think she adds is, you know, Buffy's whole "you can't love without a soul." Yes. Thank you for bringing this up. Um, and as we've seen right in season two, Drew and Spike's relationship and that they do love each other. Right. And the judge even <laughs> says that um, that's, he wants to kill them because they love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Drew saying, yes, we can. We can love quite well, if not wisely. It's a great line. Mm-hmm. Um, one of. So, yeah, I've always looked at the the Spike and Drew relationship as proof that Spike has always been able to love. Um, but I would point out this episode and, and that moment, actually, as she's delivering that line, as maybe, for me at least, the first time where I kind of saw it on Drew's face. Every time... Everything before this, you could write it off as, well, Drew's kind of crazy i mean she she 
there are plenty of examples of like Drew and Darla watching their boys fight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the sort of devotion that we see from Spike, I, I don't, I've not read that on Drew before this, but when she delivered, and, and you can tell me if you think I'm mistaken there, but when she delivers that line, we can love, or we can love well, if not wisely, um, Juliet Landau pulls a James Marsters there where her, her body language and her, her face delivers that line as if there's a moment of lucidity, like Drew is actually consciously aware of how she feels in that moment. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, Drew, I think her relationship with Spike has always been different from his relationship to her mm-hmm. um, in that he's been monogamous with her and right. she hasn't been monogamous with him. Yep. All, um, so all slime and antlers, yeah. Well, and also with Angel. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? I believe, and it's been a long time since I've rewatched um, Angel, but I believe there's a scene in Angel where Drew, or uh, Spike goes to Drew's room and Angel comes out. Right. The implication being mm-hmm. that, that that there's the implication that he, they're still having a sexual relationship. Right. Um, so I, you know, I think that that Spike has always been. Um, I don't want to say he's like, he's different from the other vampires. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think he has kind of showed emotion and affection in a way that we haven't seen from other vampires. Um, and I wonder if part of that is because of who he was before he was turned. Yeah, I was just gonna, I was just gonna posit if, um, if anyone has ever tried to explain this away as saying that uh, Spike was turned, like Spike <clears throat> William became a vampire because he was seduced in that particularly like in that in that moment of heartbreak, and he was seduced by Drew in sort of a a romantic slash sexual way. If that informs the kind of vampire he became, I mean, I, I guess you could maybe argue that, but it seems highly unlikely that that's the only time a vampire's ever been sired that way. Right. Well, so. and there's also the fact that part of who you were, right. So in the beginning, and this is part of like the vampire mythology that has shifted over the course of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, so in season two, they take a very hard line uh, in in lie to me, right? Where Buffy says, "You are, you aren't you anymore when you're a vampire, mm-hmm. right? A demon takes up residence in your in your body, and it it talks like you and walks like you, but it's not you anymore." Um, that shifts over time, right? So that by the time we get to um, Doppelgang Land, and Willow is talking about her you know, vampire Willow. Right. And Buffy reassures her by saying, well, you know, the vamp- the vampire version of you isn't you. And Angel steps in with a, well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. And Buffy's like, shut up. So um, we do, you know, that as that, as the series go on, goes on, that kind of evolves. Right. So we have a sense of um, Angel before he was turned as this kind of, you know, roused about consumer of women and alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which then translates somewhat into his vampiric appetites. Um, and then with Spike, right, we have this kind of lovelorn poet. And one of my notes on this episode is Spike has no game. <laughs> He's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
someone that hot, right? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's really, really bad at this. Um, you know, the kind of just awkward way that he's trying to to seduce Buffy, right? To get on Buffy's good side in their initial conversation, the kind of repetition of you, you know, right? Uh, that that awkwardness, the whole car scene, yeah. Um, singing to himself, the flask, right? Um, <laughs> even him opening the door for her, right? Which is kind of this old fashioned courtship, you right. know. Um, he's, you know, I, I was wondering, is that Shades of William coming through? Right. He's not writing terrible poetry about her yet that we know of. Uh, I believe my headcanon is that he absolutely is writing bad poetry. Yeah. Her. I was, when we get to see his shrine uh, to Buffy, <laughs> I was desperately looking. We didn't, uh, I, I didn't see anything on there. It was all, it was all pictures, but they missed an opportunity there. There should have been like just reams of papers with uh, hastily scribbled poetry and unfinished sonnets and stuff yeah absolutely with yeah. terrible rhymes yeah yeah uh the word effulgent has to make at least one appearance <laughs> yes um but yeah so i mean i i wonder are, are we seeing kind of these shades because william was awkward right and kind of dorky and bad bad at it too mm-hmm. william certainly had no game and spike doesn't seem to have gotten you know much better <laughs> poor spike <laughs> oh man um let's see what else happened in this episode i you talked a little bit about or you touched very briefly on the whole dawn and spike thing but um i did love the scene where she where where dawn goes to spike and i i recognize that uh emotions are complicated and the the terrain is constantly shifting as new information is revealed but it I do want to point out the hypocrisy of of Buffy being so uh, adamant that Dawn never go near Spike, and yet anytime there's a problem, she takes Dawn and Joyce to Spike to to look after them or whatever. Yeah, no, I I also really love their relationship, and it, I mean it really starts in blood ties, and that's you know I kind of like what they give to each other, which is that they both treat each other like they're humans. Mm-hmm. Right. Spike, Spike had the great line in this one of uh, where she's talking about, I'm not even human or whatever. And he says, well, originally I was, I got over it. Doesn't seem to me it matters very much how you start out. Yes. Yeah. I had that line too. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I think that also speaks to his moral development mm-hmm. in the episode. Yeah. Um, right. And they're just so cute. Right. When she <laughs> says that she feels safe with him and he, you know, he chokes, <laughs> take that back. Right. So again, we see kind of the, um, the performative aspect of him. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they're both these kind of, I think we talked about this on a previous episode, but they're both these very perceptive characters. Yeah. They're, they're probably some of the most emotionally perceptive. So Spike, kind of sees what she needs, right? Talking about humanness and, and that sort of thing and gives her, which is what is actually like, you know, pretty good advice coming from a soulless vampire. Right. Um, and, but she also sees him, right? She perceives him, uh, and uses it to manipulate him, which I love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also love, she's the one that figures out. She's the one that notices spikes feelings for Buffy. 
Yeah, right. And then she uses that, right? So when he's like, well, what else does this player say about me? <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's also very correctly realizes that Spike is not icky. He does have cool hair and wears cool leather coat. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, not in this episode, at least. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his hair is still cool. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, but then also, you know, just the kind of caring relationship that he has with her. Um, so that he's telling her that spooky story, but he stops and asks if it's too much for her. Um, and we're going to see that in season six and bargaining, right? Where he's literally her sitter, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we get to really see their relationship develop, uh, which is why it hurts so much, right? When Dawn yeah. in season six, you know, also kind of exiles him with good reason, right? <laughs> Was that was that six or seven? She got well. Um. Oh, seven. You're right. Thank you. When he comes back. Yeah. When he comes back. Thank you. Um. So and oh, the other moment that I just have to talk about because I love it is that when Buffy busts into the crypt, they both get scared. Uh, Oh yeah. Get startled. (laughs) Yeah, when he jumps and he's like, oh, I don't remember what he says, but. uh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I, I love watching the develop the relationship between these two characters develop because they are kind of both outcasts in the group, right? They don't feel like they quite fit in. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it warms my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't, I don't want to move on. Is there anything else? Was there anything I've got, else? I've got more. I've got okay. more. Um, okay. So also Spike and Joyce. Yeah. Um, and their relation, right? So their relationship kind of starts back in season oh, three. Oh, Joy. Okay, continue. But Joyce has a really icky line in this episode. Okay, yes, because I also have some problems with Joyce that we need to talk about too. Okay. Um, her and Willow are making some bad choices. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, so they they kind of start their relationship in season three when he goes and cries on her shoulder about Drew and she. <laughs> Uh, I guess they start in season two, right? Yeah, with um, the the hot chocolate with little marshmallows. Yeah, well, that's season three. Season two, oh. she um, at the end of the season, right when he's allied with Buffy, and they have that that great moment where they're awkwardly sitting. Oh, that's uh, right. In yeah. the living room, she's like, "Do I know you?" And he's like, "Yeah, you hit me with an axe." <laughs> <laughs> kind of minds it, right? And then season three, um, where he's commiserating about Drew, um, and then we see them kind of bonding over passions. And so, you know, we have had this, these like little hints of a relationship between them, which is about to get real sad. Yeah, it is. Uh, in forever when he shows up with flowers and uh, and Xander and Willow are, at, at least I remember, I think it's Xander and Willow um, are really kind of dicks to him. Damn them. I know. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so the 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 Joyce Icky thing. Yes. Uh, did you do anything to lead him on? Did you give him the wrong idea or whatever? That's what I'm talking about. Yes. If okay. she sent him signals. If you were sending right. him signals, yeah. This whole conversation is really, really doesn't age well. No. Uh, especially given the world that we're living in now, you know, with, with violent incels. Right. <laughs> Um, to suggest that it's anyway Buffy's responsibility that A, Spike has caught feelings for her, and B, that she has to, she's made it perfectly clear that she has no interest romantically in Spike. Right? right. Now, 
you can kind of and I feel like you can kind of hear the clicking of the the writer's keyboards, right? They're like, well, we need Buffy to go there. So what's going to motivate her to go there? But it just, you know, that's terrible, terrible advice to give a woman, even a superpowered woman like Buffy. Right. Right? That, no, if a man is like, you know, you're not interested in a man, it's not your responsibility to go and endanger yourself. I I was surprised at how sort of passive Buffy was during that conversation. Yeah. Well, because again, the writers needed her to go there. Yeah. She, even when she delivers the line of, uh, well, I mean, I kick his ass a lot. And for someone like Spike, that's third base that's delivered. Like she kind of, she stops being angry in that moment. She doesn't Mm -hmm. show disgust. She just kind of delivers that line as kind of funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, It was, that whole thing was super awkward. Right. But I mean, this is in the, in real life. This is how women get murdered. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Really doesn't age well. I'm happy to say that in the next episode, Giles will give Buffy some much better advice. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, so dad comes through with yeah, that one. Yeah, exactly. A couple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it's not her, her responsibility. It's not her fault. How, how he feels. Right. Um, I do as much as I don't want to. I do feel like we need to talk about Spike being terrible in this episode. I mean, yeah, we need to be we need to be fair. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, his relationship with Harmony really is not a good look on him. No. Um, he's nasty and abusive to her. He really has been since the start of their relationship in season four. Um, I mean, it's funny because we're kind of on his side, but he's he's really mean to her. Um, you know, he violently throws her out of the room and she's sticking up for him. Right. Right. It's, what she's saying to Drew is not untrue, um, but he's really, really cool to her. Harmony is one of those is one of the problematic characters uh, that's kind of a holdover from the first season. Or was she in? Was she in season one or did she show up in two? She was. She was one of uh, Cordelia's. One of the Cordettes. That's right. So she's always been, uh, or she very quickly became uh, one of the characters that, because the Scoobies uh, disliked her and were always snarky with her, that's just where she is now. And so Mm -hmm. she gets, it was always meant to be comic relief when the Scoobies would say mean things to her or whatever and that she's you know she's an idiot and and uh never knows what she's doing or whatever um and so the early spike and harmony relationship obviously was played for laughs but as they start developing spike they really should have had his relationship with her develop as well right well and it's also the difference between punching up and punching down yeah um, so when she's like one of the popular girls in school and the Scoobies are not, it's a form of punching up. Right. Right. Which generally we tend to be more okay with. Um, when she's in an abusive relationship with Spike, it's punching down. Yeah. Uh, which makes it a little bit, you know, it's, it's not, it's not fun to watch. Um, and that's, I think one of the, as I've been uh, rewatching some of these episodes recently, that's one of the things that's kind of stuck out to me is that, you know, here we're supposed to, this is supposed to be a show about female empowerment. Yet look at how we treat some of the female characters. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I cannot 
honestly remember how the Spike and Harmony thing uh, wraps up because they both see each other again on Angel. Yeah, they have sex. Oh, crap. I, I yeah, totally... once he's corporeal, I believe that once he's corporeal again. Okay. It happens either in the shower or in the comics. Okay, I, I, I had forgotten that. Uh, no, but... I, I, just, I couldn't remember. I assume, because I, I am super happy with the way Angel the series wraps up, I assume that at some point uh, they patch things up or Spike apologizes for the way he used to treat her or something, but I, I genuinely don't remember if that actually happens. My... Mike, and again, I haven't watched Angel season five in a long time, but I believe that they do once he's corporeal again. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have sex. So uh, that's not the only horrible thing that Spike does in this episode. Oh no, that's just the beginning of the list. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so we also have the Stalker Shrine, which we yeah mentioned. Would would. So if there had been poetry on there, would it have seemed less stalkery? No. No? Okay. I was going to say... bad poetry would have made it worse. Oh, you think so? I, oh, the, yeah. the Even the sketches didn't really bother me that much. It was the photos. It was the candid photos that clearly were taken from, like, around quarters or whatever. That was where it seemed stalkery to me. If it had been poetry and him drawing sketches of her face, it wouldn't have seemed quite as creepy, to me at least. Except that the, the drawings of her face are linked to Angelus. Okay. Right? Yeah. In season two, yeah. when he's sketching Buffy sleeping. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that has that kind of creep resonance through it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and just bad poetry makes everything worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's endearing. Um, but also a legitimate question that I have. How does Harmony not know about this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Um, the mannequin wearing the blue sweater is down there. It's a whole thing. And uh, I mean, yeah, he's got it covered under a blanket or, a you know, a sheet or whatever. But. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> Harmony's clueless. Harmony is clueless. I guess, I guess. But still, it's not it's not particularly well hidden. No. Right. Um, so yeah, so there is the stalker shine, and I think you've mentioned in previous episodes we've seen him him acquiring right. Yeah. Were, the were, different... you, were you just going through my underwear drawer? Yeah, that's terrifying. A thing a thing played for laughs. Right. That shouldn't right. that really shouldn't have been funny. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then murder as a romantic gesture. Uh-huh. Not good. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the fact that he threatens to murder her if she doesn't admit that they have a chance. So he's giving her an ultimatum. And you know how I feel about ultimatums. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> don't like him from Riley. Don't like him from Spike, right? And again, I think it's speaking... Uh, watching it in 2019 right again hearing about these men who are murdering women because they don't want to be with them Mm -hmm. it uh it takes on additional cultural relevance right and these things were happening prior to 2019 we're just hearing about them more now um so that really really doesn't play well do you remember how you felt about it on first on your first viewing um, 
first viewing, I was not as bothered yeah. by it um, because I was uh, 14 or 15 and dumb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I wasn't as you know aware of kind of the reality of it, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, it's like watching Twilight when you're 13 or 14 and thinking that that's really romantic, too. So I have a question about all of that. Uh, we, You've talked a lot about how performative Spike is. Yeah. Wat- watching the scene where he's got them both chained up and he's like, uh, I'm going to prove that I love you. Uh, I'm going to kill her. I, I don't know how sold I am on this. Uh, but I considered the possibility as I was watching it that that was all performative. Do you think he actually, if he had gotten any sign from Buffy that she was okay with that, do you think he would have done it? Mm, that's a good question. I don't. I don't think he would have ever killed her, right? And we can kind of infer that because he does unchain her, right? Um, as far as Drew, I. <sighs> It's hard to also be objective about this because I want the answer to be no. Right. Um, and I don't know if I can look at it without my my shipper goggles on. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess to be to be fair, to be as fair as you're being, I would say uh, my biases are probably showing. But I was watching that, and he he did that faint thing a couple times where he would grab the stake and he would like he would go at drew and he like put it right up to her chest or whatever. And like, he kept making motions like, I'll really do it. Don't, don't, don't push me. I'll really do it or whatever. And I just, that's the kind of thing that you see from people who are not really going to do it. Yeah. No, I think that's, that is a reason that I am very comfortable with. (laughs) I, I, I read that as he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't thought this through. And we know for, for as perceptive and like uh, for as good a, a study of human nature as Spike has proven himself to be, he famously is not very good at coming up with plans. Oh yeah. No, he's terrible. So uh, I feel like this was an impulse that he had and he didn't think it all the way through. And uh, I, I don't know if Buffy had been like, and maybe she should have, I, I've, this is a terrible thing to say, but maybe she could have played along with Spike. So he would just stay Drew because she's the vampire slayer. She wants Drew dead. Right. But, but I, I I choose to believe that even if Buffy had been like, okay, do it. Yeah. We can, we can go out if you kill Drew. I, he probably would have been like, um, I don't now. What do I do now? (laughs) I'm not really going to kill Drew. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, I'm like I said, I'm I'm very happy with that reading. Um there are probably fans of the show and, and possibly this podcast who are would not go along with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are, yeah. There are probably writers on the show. <laughs> yes. Um the last thing I have in Spike being terrible this episode is just the misogynistic rant at the end. <laughs> uh, what is it with you women? Yeah, where he blames the women when really Mm-hmm. Really, I would say look in the mirror, but that's not going to do anything for him. I I saw someone uh, talk about that, um, and they their take on that, or they were reading it all the way back to uh, Fool for Love, where mm-hmm. he that is him ranting at 
the fact that he at least feels in his soulless vampired state now he feels like his problems have always been that women don't that women don't get him or whatever going all the way back to cecily yeah that sounds like an incel to me <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah yeah. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you want to say that uh, that vampires are like incels or what, I mean, if you want to go that far, that's the that's the soulless kind of demon nature inside inside Spike rationalizing what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the the human William is the one that uh, is going to eventually come around and figure right. out that that's not something that you say. <laughs> Well, I hope so. There is also this the kind of slightly homophobic comment that he makes. Um, oh, about the poofdas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that made the list, but that's not on the on the top of the list. <laughs> but still, you know, bears mentioning. Yeah. Um. Uh, so I do feel like we have a good transition okay. to go into. I was made to love you, but I I have a couple of other stray thoughts about this episode. Please, please. Um. So. Um, Willow's headaches at the beginning of the episode uh, and her kind of pushing her magic too far after the teleportation spell yeah. um, at the end of Blood Ties and kind of foreshadowing, right? And here we see Willow kind of growing her power, um, which is going to be important in season six yes. for everyone's favorite arc that's coming up. Yeah, everyone's favorite arc, yeah. Um. Buffy and Xander do a terrible job looking for clues. <laughs> just, just walking into the train and then sitting in one of the, the tape outlines. They don't look for anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they didn't even, they didn't even look up and see the, the Drusilla doll. Now I know that Angel's supposed to be the investigator, <laughs> but they don't really try. I do want to uh, I do want to give the show props for uh, adding a new location. I love the fact that we had an exterior location that was a train yard, uh, or yeah. or a train station. That was that was it was just cool. Um, I wish that we'd gotten a little more um, Hercule Poirot or or whatever. Any any of it? <laughs> any any of that? But it was cool to have a new location. It was cool. Um, oh, we get the, the kind of dangling of a romantic, possible romantic subplot, uh, with Buffy and Ben. Oh yeah. Which obviously never comes to anything, but God damn it. If Ben isn't exactly Buffy's type, right? Her specific type of douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with the floppy hair, right? Uh -huh. And oh, when we get into uh, "I Was Made to Love You," the conversation they have is just insufferable. It is. It's so bad. Uh, but yeah, I was definitely getting you know shades going all the way back to to Owen and Scott Hope. And Scott Hope, yeah, yeah. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> but there was that great um, kind of irony cut, right? Let's the or. Moment of dramatic irony. Let's call she who will not be named by another name, like Ben, right? Because yeah. I don't know if you know this. I might be blowing your mind right now. What? Glory is Ben. What? <laughs> ben is Glory. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Man, that that joke is never going to get old. I know. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then just, you know, by, well, we had mentioned it earlier, but what Willow's spell to revoke Spike's invitation to the house, right, mm-hmm. um, is important because of when Buffy invites him back in in the gift, right, right. which is one of the gifts that's given in that episode. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting yeah. all verklempt. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, since you mentioned... Uh, peripherally, you mentioned those two vampires that uh, Spike takes Buffy on a date to go kill. Um, mm-hmm. Another example of, again, I know there there's other stuff going on. She was distracted by the whole Spike thing. But yet one more example of Buffy the Vampire Slayer being shown, here's a couple vampires, and they both, her and Spike, just watch them scamper away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Spike's like, well, I guess we should catch up to them. They can't have gotten far. She's like, ah, whatever. Just lets him go. Yeah. Yeah, I know that was again. Yeah, she's she is bad at her job this episode. <laughs> I guess she's got other stuff on her mind. Mm. Um, hey, uh, I was gonna say I meant to say when we were talking about the we can love quite well if not wisely thing that um, and unless I'm forgetting stuff, which I almost certainly am, I don't believe that that little revelation ever really it ever really means much to the Scooby gang or, or Buffy, the vampire slayer, the series ever again. I feel like that is just sort of dropped in our laps here. And on this show never really amounts to much. Um, unless that becomes a conversation in season seven, when Buffy is warming up to spike, I don't remember. Well, he has a soul at that point. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I think there are, you know, we do get more discussion about can vampires love, you know, there's that brutal scene in dead things Mm -hmm. where Buffy is beating spike pretty brutally. Um, and you know, she's saying you are dead inside. You could never love anything. Um, and she's partly talking about herself in that moment, but you know, it is kind of a continuation of that. Yeah. Um, I was, I was about to say, arguably, this subject comes back uh, pretty hardcore in season three of Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm remembering correctly, there's a there's a pesky little caveat to that uh, vampire with a soul situation, or that vampire uh, who uh, <laughs> demonstrates the capacity to love. Yeah, uh, there, there's a extenuating circumstance that plays into that. So, yeah. Um, anyway, soul by proxy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd be fine if we just keep talking about Crush, but there is another episode. Do we want to get to it? Yes, let's let's get to. Okay, I what, was made to love what, you. You said that we have a transition. Uh, do you want to do you want to go back to the transition and? Y- yes, we get the. Uh, I believe what is the introduction. Of everyone's favorite, least favorite misogynist, Warren. Um, oh, what was the transition that we were talking about misogyny? We were talking about misogyny. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Um, Warren seems to be a slightly different character in his first appearance than he is when he comes back. Yeah. He, he's, I mean, he's still a douchebag. He's still, he's not a good guy in this episode, but when he shows back up uh, in season six, he is doubled down, tripled he's- down. Yeah, he's been on 4chan and 8chan, and he's become yeah. radicalized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here he's just kind of an idiot, an insensitive uh, prick. But 
Although I would argue, right, that this is we're seeing shades of what's to come. Yeah. Um, you know, with his treatment of of April, right? So uh, Warren again, another incel. This was just an incel mm-hmm. episode, but this kind of like nerd misogyny, right? That's going to come full force in season six. Um, but the idea that he's owed sex and companionship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says it was not fair that he was not getting dates. Mm-hmm. Um, so he creates a sentient being who experiences real emotions and then abandons her. Mm-hmm. Um, so treating her like a toy, she's programmed to love him, um, which, he t- you know, and so he's taking away, right, her ability of con- to consent, uh, which is the same thing that he'll do in Katrina, to Katrina. Mm-hmm. Right? He basically turns Katrina into a sex bot as well. Uh, wait. Does Katrina come back? She comes back, I believe. It's in Dead Things. She comes back. Okay. I'd and they it. have a device that basically takes away her ability to... Oh, crap. I forgot all consent. about that. Um, and so there's the implication of, of rape. Yeah. Um, you know, it's basically like a, a, a date rape. Right. De- you know, magical device. Um, and then they end up murdering her when she fights back. Holy crap. I forgot all about, like, I remembered that that storyline happened, but I forgot that that was Katrina. Yeah. So, I mean, again, we see he's, he's treating Katrina the same way that he's treating April. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is interesting, right? They're both objects that he's taken away the power to, to consent or to decline to consent. So I'm looking, I'm looking at my notes for this episode, which are, embarrassingly few uh, mm-hmm. and literally the only notes that I have are about uh, well it's actually kind of about what we're talking about here uh, but it could be um, contentious <laughs> these these sort of talking points that I have okay. so I don't know if I want to get into it yet I but I literally don't have any notes on anything else so I'm racking my brain to remember everything else that happened in the episode I know okay. I, I know I we have... get a call back to Ted we do by dawn which was great just to remind mm-hmm. us that yeah she wasn't really there but she was kind of there so um so i have some nice things to say about xander okay believe it or not right on <laughs> uh you know i'm not xander's number one fan but he does walk back some of the things that he said to her and in into the woods in the beginning of this episode okay um when he's puffy Xander, which by the way is visually very funny, makes no sense. Why she's why she's beating him up like that? Why is she using him to train ex- instead of like a punching bag? Right. Yeah. He can't move. Right. He can't fight her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was really. It was. Uh, it was just a joke. Yeah. It, it, yeah, uh, and again, visually very funny, but makes no sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he does kind of walk back some of that stuff mm-hmm. that he said. Um. Do you remember precisely? Like, I remember uh, F- Puffy Xander talking about how um, 
now I don't remember any of his lines. I wish I had written down the quotes, but uh, basically he's talking about how, you know, maybe though, maybe you'll meet somebody who will just, you can be yourself and they will recognize yeah. how awesome you are and they'll, they'll love you for yeah. your heart or whatever. Well, it's interesting because she has kind of internalized some of the things that he said to her and into the woods. Mm -hmm. um, so their dialogue is that she she's, you know, talking about, you know, um, he says that uh, there will be another guy for her. Right. I promise he's out there. He could come along any minute. And then she says, great. And the minute after that, I can terrify him with my alarming strength, strength and remarkable self-involvement. That's right. right. Is what Xander kind of said to her in Into the Woods. That's right. right. That's right. Um, which, is, says, which is where you and I kind of got at odds because I tend to think Buffy is self-involved. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he says, what? I don't think you're like that. Yeah. Oh, man. I... I good catch. I had completely forgotten mm -hmm. or I would have been like, well, wait a minute, just a few episodes ago, Xander, you were saying. Yeah. Um, and, and then she says, well, maybe I can change, you know, work harder, spend less time slaying, laugh at his jokes. Men like that, don't they? Right. Mm -hmm. at the joke laughing at, which then we get that terror, like when Ben makes that terrible joke and she laughs at it. Yeah. Um, and then he says, or maybe you could just be Buffy and he'll see your amazing heart That's and fall with you. And I was like, Oh, Xander. <laughs> Good Xander, but we did have some bad Xander too. Uh, what bad Xander did we have? Uh, when he's like being, I think you know Anya's being is written as dumb with the checks mix. Uh huh. And he explains it to her, which is just a bad scene all around. Um, but I will say that at that house party, Anya housing snacks. Right, just holding the bowl of checks. That's the most relatable thing anyone in the show has ever done. <laughs> that is me at any party I go to. <laughs> um, what's your take? Um, so I don't know if you were going to consider this part of the bad Xander, but at that party, uh, when uh, April walks in. Yes, bad Xander. Okay, that's bad Xander. So... Um, I was reading that as just kind of dumb Xander because he's standing right next to his girlfriend and he's like, Ooh, who is that? Like, I mean, it, guys, even guys in a relationship are allowed to notice that there's another attractive woman, but it was just dumb of him to say it right there. But I thought it was interesting the way that they played like this entire episode. There were multiple examples of um, Anya pointing out that she is allowing Riley or not Riley. She is allowing um, Xander to uh, comment on other women to dance with Buffy. Mm -hmm. like there were three or four times where they had that happen. Was that, uh, was that like cool development uh, for Anya or was it weird and creepy that they had her do it like four times in the same episode? So I think it's reaching back to triangle, right? Which was another Jane Epsonson episode. Uh, where the whole thing is that she was jealous of, Zan of Xander and wouldn't didn't want anyone to spend time with him, mm -hmm. right? That she there was that the whole like fight between her and Willow. Yeah, well, in that yeah. episode. So I think we're reaching back to that, and she's trying to she's showing more, I guess, some development. But it also does reek of the kind of the problematic cool chick, right? Mm -hmm. Um where she lets her boyfriend, you know, objectify other women. And that's cool. Yeah. It's just interesting that it comes in an episode where there's a, a sex bot that says, 
you know, I, I do whatever he tells me or whatever. It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit weird. No, I agree. I agree. I didn't love it, but I didn't like the way Anya was written in this episode in general. So, um, Okay, help me out. Point out some other stuff because all, all, literally all I have to go on here is uh, the the geeks or evil misogynists thing, which is a, right. a subject I want to talk about. Um, so the the joke that everyone knows right away that she's a robot. Oh, that was that was funny. That's funny, and it, it comes back again in intervention. Um, when no one guesses that Buffy is a robot, but the, the Buffy butt, but uh, the Buffy bot is a robot. <laughs> Until Buffy comes in and says, oh, she's yeah. a robot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd forgotten that. Mm -hmm. What are my other... Um, my One of my notes is Dad Giles in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were talking about Crush and you referred to him. You said Dad comes through. And I was like, yeah, a couple times I was thinking about mm -hmm. him getting up in Spike's face. Yeah. A little bit of the Ripper. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In there. Um other notes that i had ben is terrible <laughs> i mean he's just dumb oh because okay so here here's my thought again this is one of those things that uh, i think i've said a f on a few episodes of the podcast now that in the first season maybe the first couple seasons this is the sort of setup and punchline that we that the show got away with but as the show has matured it becomes it becomes harder to let these things go. The, the punchline is that, um, or the setup is that Ben gives her his phone number. The mm -hmm. punchline is that she calls right after he transforms from glory back into Ben. Right. The reason that's The reason that makes Ben dumb is she could have called five minutes earlier and then glory would have answered. Mm-hmm. Did I wait? I said he transformed oh. from glory to Ben, right? Yeah, she, yeah, she, okay. well, yeah. So, so the reason that's dumb is that she, Buffy could have called at any time, and it just hap it's just luck that she called right after he had turned back into Ben. Wait, doesn't she leave a message? She does, but that's later. Uh, okay. When, when she calls the first time, uh, he answers the phone, but he had literally just transformed back into Ben, and he's still wearing the red dress. Okay, I was confused because I was thinking about the end of the episode where she calls because I just skipped over the entire part in my mind where she actually <laughs> needs to go right. to um, to have coffee with him because I don't want that to happen. So I, I was thinking about when um, when she leaves the message and Glory hears it at the end. Right. Um, but, oh, that coffee metaphor. Uh so labored it's not endearing was it supposed to be endearing I, we, I, are we supposed to think ben is charming i think so Ugh. i mean i assume so do let me so let me ask you uh again spoiler podcast <laughs> do you have because uh, i don't i don't remember what my feelings are on ben by the time we get to his ultimate ending um have you ever warmed up to ben by the time giles like puts an end to it I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Um, he, we, he, if I'm remembering correctly, he does try to, does he try to help Dawn escape? I mean, he already has once tried to help Dawn escape. I can't remember uh, how active 
he resists glory going forward. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, Because I know he does come to help them in Spiral Mm -hmm. when they're trapped by the Knights of Byzantium. Oh, the Knights of Byzantium. (laughs) Um, And I'm trying to remember how complicit he is in the gift. Well, at any rate, I'm I'm sure that it's meant to be endearing. Like I'm well, sure I'm sure the writers at this point are like, bit. I mean, it's ridiculous for me to even say this. It's why they cast that actor because he is so much Buffy's type that has been established over five seasons of the show. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it's meant to be endearing and charming, and we're supposed to hope that they get together. Yeah. No, I'm I, I don't. Um, and I don't think I did when, when that arc started either. I'm trying to think back to like my first time watching it and I don't think I ever liked Ben. I mean, it's, I don't remember for sure, but I, it's entirely possible that my read on it was, can we slow down with throwing romantic interest to Buffy? (laughs) I'm sure that my reaction was one of another potential boyfriend. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Yeah, so that's all I have to say about him is that okay. he is um bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um I'm trying to I, I'm racking my brain to figure out if there was anything else that happened in this episode and I just I'm not sure that there was I mean, until the last scene obviously, which we'll discuss, but Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so I'm just gonna uh, we'll just get into so- this. I do have one thing that okay. I don't know if it's going to lead into or step on what you're what you're going to say. Okay. But did you know that April was originally supposed to be played by Britney Spears? I I had heard that rumor. I didn't know if that was uh, confirmed or not, but I had heard the rumor. Apparently, her and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar were friends. Oh, I mean that makes sense. Right. I, I what would we have thought if that had happened? Yeah, I mean it is. I think it's interesting because I think the actress who plays april is beautiful yeah right but britney spears would be is a different kind of beautiful and i think would mean something different Mm -hmm. in that role yeah shonda farr the actress that plays april she is beautiful but doesn't does not look like britney like Mm -hmm. like it's not like they were going for a particular look when they were going to cast britney i guess but anyways i'm i'm glad that it didn't happen because i feel like it would have I don't know. It's hard to say with the context of 2019, but uh, I feel like it just would have seemed like stunt casting. Yeah. It wouldn't have aged well. Yeah. yeah. I don't think. Um, but. And I, and I never watched, uh, what the heck was her movie? Crossroads or. Crossroads. Yeah. I, I never watched the movie. So I have no idea if Brittany has even the slightest ability to act. Not that the not that the role of April necessarily called for a, a master thespian or anything, but I just don't know. No. Um, Although it was like her, I have to admit, her death scene mm-hmm. is actually very touching. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for for a robot, it's a good it's a good death scene. I mean, us, us, so this will transition us into the discussion of geeks or evil misogynists. I was about to say, okay. I was about to say us geeks, we love in our genre fiction, we love, um, we love 
in humans that are shown to have human traits like da mm -hmm. data from Star Trek Next Generation and and um, I don't know just that trope is a thing that geeks tend to be all about so sure. yeah. wa watching a robot slowly die as she talks about will he be able to find me if it's dark I mean yeah that's, Aww, that's bad that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> terrible all right so let's talk about the um, I don't know if this is going to be contentious or not because I perhaps my feelings on this have evolved hopefully my feelings on it have evolved but um, I I think I've commented before that I am increasingly uncomfortable with the way the show as it progresses it sh sort of shifts its uh, its sympathies maybe I don't know if that's the right word but so early on in the series characters like Willow uh, were originally presented as very very like positive uh, geek role models uh, the the show lifted her up as a positive role model because she was smart because she was intellectual um, as the series has moved on uh, it it takes an awful lot of opportunities to uh, sort of show uh, science related stuff or smart people as the butts of jokes or outright dangerous um, mm -hmm. and there is a an increasing uh, trend of the show showing, and it's only going to get way worse in season six of showing geeks as uh, being horrible misogynists who are incapable of forming like real relationships with women. Mm -hmm. And that's, I feel like that's a shift from the initial presentation of the Scooby gang. Um, again, I've, I often push back against the idea that the Scooby gang has gone from the outsiders that we sympathized with to the insiders who now, as to, to call back to what you said earlier, they, they gradually shift from punching up to punching down a lot more often. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I feel like the show does that as well with as often as it uh, insists on showing geeks, nerds and outsiders uh, as terrible people. Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting, right? Because there is that element in geek and nerd culture, right? Yeah, absolutely. Picking up on absolutely, um, you know, where we do have this positive representation with Willow, and I do like in season seven when we go back to that a little bit mm -hmm. um, with her, where we see her using computers more, right, um, as she's dealing with her her magic addiction. Um, and so we do get that positive representation, but I think, you know, the show is pointing to something that does exist in geek and nerd culture, right? You don't have to look any further than like Gamergate, um, or even the, you know, the fact that, um, Rotten Tomatoes had to redo yeah. its algorithm for Ms. for, uh, Ms. Marvel or Captain Marvel, um, rather because of the way that the people, the audience score, which was, um, which was like disproportionately lower than it should have been, um, because of like campaigns on places like 4chan and 8chan to make the movie, you know, to, to score the movie poorly because it was a female superhero. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is something that it, like there is a kind of toxicity in the in geek and nerd culture 
um, that is present and, you know, which I, I think is important, um, to, to look at, um, confront to some extent. Uh, you know, it's, I, I come across that in fan studies as well, right. Where there's kind of like this impulse to, um, to kind of glorify fandom. Uh, but there's a dark side to that as well. Right. And so I think it's kind of thinking about, you know, both sides, the different ways in which geekdom or nerddom, um, presents. Right. I mean, I, absolutely. There's the, the fake, the fake geek girls movement Mm -hmm. and the, the Gamergate stuff and all that. I, yeah, they're incels that whole thing I, mm-hmm. I, i'm not saying that the the trope shouldn't exist i just feel like the show um makes a makes a really hard shift away from and, and i i think this mostly ties into my my frustration with the way the that our our beloved heroes on the show uh go from punching up to punching down in my opinion mm-hmm. as the show progresses and i also i just think so in this episode there's the when who was it was it warren who was talking about how uh he and uh katrina had a lot in common they both uh, like she makes models of monorails or something like that yeah with and and buffy (laughs) buffy like looks i don't remember what she says but she like mocks him for being fans of monorail being a fan of monorails or whatever there's there's Again, the kind of jokes that probably we got away with in the first season, uh, and at just as these characters develop, it becomes harder and harder for me to accept the the narrative of the show being that the cool kids are allowed to make fun of other people for being smart. Yeah, um, and, and that I take your point with that particular um, comment. I I don't in general see punching Warren as punching. I know. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Especially, especially knowing who he, he is later on. Yeah. yeah. I see punching Warren as an appropriate response. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, just because of his, and we, I mean, we know what's coming mm-hmm. from him. Um, but even in this episode, right. The way that he treats women, he, so he might be attracted to Katrina because he's, She's smart. Um, but when he's arguing with Buffy, he literally tells her to go to the kitchen. I know. I know. That was, that was nuts. <laughs> when he did that, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, snap. You did not. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and Katrina like pushes back against that, mm-hmm. you know, right. Which, which Warren later on says is one, one of the things that attracted him to her that, uh, that she like challenged him or, or I think he says pushed back. I don't remember, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, here's the thing the he, he's a douchebag in this episode, but there's just enough there to believe that maybe this character could have been salvaged. I, it's, and mm-hmm. I'm all, I'm only saying this because I know how extreme he becomes when he pops back up in season six. And so when he showed up here, I was like, I was remembering Warren from season six and I'm like, Oh man, he's not like, he almost seems borderline human here. Yeah. He doesn't have any superpowered testicles yet. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
Again, I have very little sympathy for no, him. I, I, yeah. um, and that's like both because I know where he's going and also because kind of the current discourse, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, about that, the kind of man that he is and the kind of entitlement that he feels that he has to love and sex and companionship, um, which is, you know, everyone deserves to be loved, but you also have to kind of earn it. Right. Um, and I was like, you know, the reason why women are are interested in you isn't because you're smart. Uh, it's because you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and that's something that comes up over and over again uh, with, with these kinds of with these insult types. Right. That is women uh, don't like me because I'm not attractive. It's like, no, women don't like you because because of your personality mm-hmm. you know? uh, because of the way that you treat women. Yeah. Would, so was the, the April thing, do we, do we think the line that was crossed with that is that he, he uh, went into the art, like he gave her intelligence, he gave her self-awareness. Well, I mean, that... if, she, if she was just a robot that was that was literally like just a robot, it still would have been weird and maybe a little bit gross, but it's not the same thing, right? I think it's that he made her love him, right? He gave her feelings, right? Yeah. If she was just um, a very advanced sex doll, right? That would be one thing. Um, it would be one thing if she didn't have sentience. Right. If yeah. she couldn't, if she couldn't feel or think, uh, but because he does that to her and then programs her to behave, you know, in a certain way mm-hmm. and then abandons her, um, that's, I think the line that's crossed, right? I mean, kind of goes back to our, um, our conversation about vampires, right? Here we here we have a robot who loves yes. <laughs> well, if not wisely. Right. Yeah. Good point. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that that's, it's an, it's abusive, right? It's impossible for her to consent because it's impossible for her not to consent, uh, because of the way that she's been programmed. Um, and, and again, just the kind of entitlement and, and like I said earlier, the fact that this is part of a continuum of an objectification of women, mm-hmm. um, because what we learn is that he doesn't actually like it when Katrina pushes back, or at least he doesn't in season six, right? Which is why he, um, finds her and gives her a magic roofie, essentially. I can't believe I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I actually thought Katrina was dead. I thought uh, April had killed her, but I yeah. guess I guess now I was conflating that because do, don't they kill her in? They do. They, yes, that's what happened in Dead Things. They wind up murdering her, yeah, um, because she comes out from under the magical spell that they have her right under, and she says she says that this is rape. And then I believe he hits her on the head with a bottle and murders her and then dumps her in the woods and leads Buffy to believe that she's killed her. And that's why Buffy has the breakdown in dead things. Man, I don't, (laughs) it's going to be a total rediscovery process when we get to season six for me. There's a lot of stuff I can't remember. And I mean, we also do see shades of this, um, 
with Jonathan too, right? He's not, I don't think as extreme as Warren, but in Superstar, there are the two twins that mm-hmm. he kind of takes away their ability to consent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a rape by um, like disguise or by you know, misrepresenting your identity. Yeah. Um, right? So. All right. Well, man, that was, a, that was, that was such an uplifting, positive note to go out on. Is there anything oh, we, else? We've got one that's even more fun. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Okay. Oh, you, this isn't even half as depressing as this can get. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we can, we can talk about the final scene then. Oh, I know. And Joss, every, every single time someone seems like they might be happy. I know. <laughs> Right, she's got this great date with Brian. She's looking fine in her dress. Uh, she's getting flowers. So I am very glad that I'm not coming back next week to talk about the next episode um, with you. Because I just sob through that entire thing every time I watch it. Yeah. But even this episode, and I remembered this time. But very often when I'm watching through the series, I will forget. (laughs) (laughs) And then it always just hits me. And I'm crying by the time Buffy hits that final mommy. Uh Like, I'm going to start choking up now. (laughs) I I remember that this is the beat at the end of the episode, but I I forget, like, how it plays out. So the scene that I kind of, like, my stomach just dropped when she... Uh, walks to the stairs to call upstairs for mom and in the background out of focus we see her mother oh I just gave myself chills right now talking about it we see her mother out of focus in the background I was like oh here it is (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, next week is going to be is going to be an episode and um, I mean it's a great episode it is a great Um, episode but it's not a good episode but it's not it's not an easy episode (laughs) It's not an easy one. Um, okay. Little, nothing like a little light viewing. Uh, fun, cheerful show to talk about. We, should we talk about Spike being thrown out of the window? <laughs> oh, sure. If you, sure. If you want to. Yeah. Um, That's all I have to say about that. Just that just he got thrown through the window. I, I love his reaction that he stands up and he's like, you threw me through a bloody window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so. and and I appreciate Buffy appreciating it as much as she did. Yeah, Spike, it's not undeserved. Uh, he was yeah. being he was being a creep too. Yeah, well, and like you said, he has no game. He's no see again, again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I think we did pretty well for us not having any notes in that episode. Um, yeah again it's it's not one of my favorites um it's just it's a perfectly fine episode it's all right it just had to follow crush it it, it exactly. gets, it's, it's sandwiched between crush and and uh oh my gosh uh the body i was about yeah. to call it hush it's not hush i was like it can't be crush and hush that's not it um yeah all right so Unless there was anything else, any other notes that you've got? I think maybe we've done all the damage that we can. I think so. All right. Well, uh, Jessica, thank you so much for for rejoining me. 
so fast on the heels of your last appearance. Oh, thanks for thanks for having me back. You know, I'm always happy to talk Spike. So. <laughs> there will be more Spike. You're happy. You're you're welcome to come back. Um, Want to let the listeners know how they can find you online? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at jessica.houch. Um, I tweet about my cats. Okay. that's. <laughs> I mean, that's what Twitter's for. That and politics. Yeah. Cats and politics. Yeah, I don't... I've, I've been taking a break from politics, which has been doing a lot for my mental health. Amen. Um, while I'm studying for exams. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, but I will, you know, I do sometimes tweet about politics but mostly it's just pictures of my cats (laughs) well that's that's the good stuff that's why you need you listeners you need to follow her and see pictures of her cats so and today by the way we're recording this on uh, international cat day oh happy international cat day yeah same to you and for the (laughs) first time in living memory my cat is not up here while i'm recording this podcast she has not stuck her head in the room once i know i'm actually wondering where mine are so. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, thank you at home for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, if you do, please rate us or write us a review. Um, if you have thoughts for me or any of my guests, or if you just want to share opinions on anything that we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook, uh, conswithdead. There's the Facebook group that I keep pimping, but it's private, but I'll invite you. Just ask and I'll invite you. It's conversations with conversations with dead people. Uh, next week, it's 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 going to be rough. My hetero life mate, Arlo Wiley, <laughs> is will be joining me to discuss uh, only one episode. 516 the heartbreaking the body uh have your kleenex ready it's going to be an emotional ride so until then gur arg everybody gur arg Girl, you were made for me.